This is a presentation of the Pitch Podcast Network. Hello, 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 and welcome to Streetwise, the podcast extension of the Pitch from Kansas City. I am your host and the editor-in-chief of The Pitch. My name is Brock Wilbur. Thank you all for turning in. How is everybody out there? Uh, I think I know. Pissed. Not having a great time. Gotta say that uh, losing the Super Bowl, not a good feeling. Um, And being in uh, local journalism in a city that just lost the Super Bowl, I will confirm your suspicions. Uh, this has been an unpleasant week, uh, not just, not just for the sake of news, but just, uh, in general, how everyone is holding themselves. I'd say that everyone is about 15% less kind than they would normally be. And that includes me. In fact, I'm probably at 30%. Uh, so some of the things that I'm, uh, upset about this week might just be my own short temper, Uh, and frustrations uh, coming out. Maybe it's not on you. Maybe we can share that. Uh, (laughs) It has been a fascinating time to be here and to watch what that looks like. I've never been in Kansas City to see us lose a Super Bowl. I have been here to see us uh, win a Super Bowl and losing a Super Bowl. I don't know. Overall, I I think we coped well with it. There is is a TV show on Apple Plus called Ted Lasso uh, about uh, Jason Sudeikis, a local boy, uh, being a guy, uh, from Kansas, who is a football coach who becomes a soccer coach in the UK, despite having no qualifications to do so. It is easily my favorite show of 2020. Uh, it is worth doing the free subscription for a week to Apple plus, uh, in order to watch the 10 episodes of it. Uh, it is made by Jason and the creator of scrubs. Uh, each episode is about 30 minutes long, uh, and it is incredibly heartfelt, uh, and incredibly funny, so just an, uh, a real mix of, of laughing just my head off and then um, crying, usually at the end of each episode. It is incredibly powerful. Anyway, the season finale of that episode, uh, the season finale of that show, the uh, the episode is called uh, It's the Hope That Kills You, uh, which is about the final game of a season, um, and the pain that you suffer when you think you can still pull it off. Uh, and uh, for most of Sunday night, I could not shake the line, it's the hope that kills you, because uh, if you know anything about Kansas City and our football team, uh, it is that we love to really put ourselves in a hole, really love to dig a grave, usually right before uh, halftime, and then come back out, do pretty good, dig ourselves another hole, and then the the magic of Kansas City is uh, Patrick Mahomes uh, just absolutely saving our ass uh, in the last few minutes. We, do, we we love to turn up in the last few minutes. We love a dramatic ending. Um, and that's sort of been, that's been our go-to uh, for, for as long as I've watched the Mahomes uh, squad. So on Sunday at the Super Bowl, as Tom Brady uh, continued to raise the score on us. Uh, we went into halftime down a considerable amount and I had to spend all of halftime being like any other team I think would be like, we're in a bad spot. Uh, we're probably going to lose, uh, based on this difference in the score. And, uh, and me and everyone I know was like, no, 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 
See, I, I know it seems like an impossible odd, but like that's how we won last time here. Uh, it seemed like we'd been uh, thoroughly destroyed, and then we came back and uh, and really, really ran it up. Uh, and I was like, we're gonna do it again here, uh, clearly. Uh, and uh, and then it became very clear very early in the second half that we were not going to win, and there was still so much football game left. Uh, and despite what felt like the right time to be like, oh, we are we are beyond saving in the situation that we are in based on how our, our team is doing. Still, the hope remained because I've seen us do it so many other times. And so uh, the hope that kills you, that being the thing that uh, that really twisted the blade on that uh, that game. Yeah, that's um, that was the hardest part, probably. Uh but the rest of it has been that um, as, as much as I'm like, I feel like that hardened some of us this week. Uh, we we also ran a, a piece from uh, from our writer, Barb Shelley, that she actually had written up the night of the loss um, that she was going to post as a Facebook status. And there was like, do you guys want this? And I was like, absolutely. I want this. Uh, she's a wonderful writer. And her piece was sort of a modest proposal type thing. That's a, a little tongue in cheek, but is still. Absolutely true, which was, um, you know, it's it's good that we lost. Actually, it's good that we lost. Uh, and and her idea behind it was that we were starting to talk about Kansas City and uh, and uh, how we'd be building uh, on this victory, a football dynasty. And her argument was basically, we're Kansas City. Being the winners is not what we do. We're we're the underdogs. If we had a dynasty, we would not know what to do with it. Uh, much like. When you see a dog that's always chasing cars and you're like, well, what happens if he eventually catches it? He just won't know what to do. Um, yeah, it, us with considerable victories, with consistent victories, that's just not what this city is built upon. And so she had a really wonderful piece about how um, we actually do better uh, when we are coming back from a loss and that the cycle of uh, of victory and terrible, terrible loss resonates throughout the entirety of Kansas City history, how we are better as a phoenix rising from the ashes. And golly gee, that was certainly a fire that we burned in there. So there's another season ahead. Uh, Patrick Mahomes' toe will hopefully be healed by then. Uh, our offensive line might uh, might really uh, hit the weight room. Uh, maybe some of those guys come back. I don't know. It's... Um, it's a fun, interesting, bleak time, and uh, I'm I'm proud of us. I'm proud of who we are as a people, and uh, quite frankly, I feel very bad for uh, Florida because uh, we saw the footage of how the parties were happening out there Super Bowl weekend with uh, with people with no masks crowding into clubs, and uh, when it comes time for them to start having their uh, victory parades, I just think a lot of people in Florida are going to get really, really sick. Uh, and so uh, as as the stats out there bump up, it it is worth repeating that last year it is estimated that from us winning the Super Bowl, uh, we saved a whole bunch of lives in San Francisco based on where the virus was at that time. Um, because had they have had a parade, a lot of people would die and they have still not thanked us for saving their lives by beating them so badly in football. Uh, something akin to that, but the reverse is, is true here. And we've certainly had politicians locally in Kansas city who tried to claim like, we'll have a parade, even though the chiefs and the city were like, there's no chance we're having a parade. We will have a big zoom call and no one should be around each other. And I do, I do know that things would have 
gone poorly. The day before the football game out here, I did see uh, party buses driving around to various bars and uh, people jumping out, uh, no masks on, bar hopping in a in an enclosed space. With that, it was a reminder that like getting excited about something. It's been a while since we've been excited about something. I, I can barely even fault the people that I think of as being quite dumb, but um, being being excited about something makes everybody stupid, and I. I do worry about the damage it would have done for us to win. So, like, look, all of this is us looking for a silver lining. Uh, <laughs> Barb's piece is, is again, tongue-in-cheek, but also it felt good to be like, no, no, actually, we we wanted to lose. That's better for us uh, is, is a good thing that I feel like I can stand behind and feel better about where we are. Um, I don't know. We uh, we seem pretty good in defeat as a, as a group of people out here. We're doing fine, and we're... We're going to be fine, and there's other things to be excited about. The number of people this week that uh, are just so goddamn stoked on baseball coming up all of a sudden. Uh, yeah, we're, we're, it's changing the, the, the topic of conversation when it got uncomfortable and somebody brought up their ex. You're just like, yeah, 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 um, baseball's coming. We're all excited for baseball, I think we can agree on. Um, so, yeah, I am now equally excited for baseball. Let's do baseball. Let's do that thing. Um, we have a great episode of the show here today. Uh, I have an interview uh, with Josh Scott, uh, who is behind JHS Pedals here in Kansas City, a company that makes guitar effect pedals that have won uh, awards all over the world. Fascinating, fascinating conversation with him. We've got Nick's Music Corner coming up. Uh, but first, uh, we have a reading from our most recent issue of the magazine, our February issue. Uh, and this is about a guy named Brinkley who way back in the day was a, was a huckster uh, selling potions and uh, goat organs to help with uh, erectile dysfunction. It's just, it is a wild story uh, from our past, and uh, I, I just, I can't believe how funny it is. Anyway, uh, our friend Jason from Stolen Dress Entertainment is going to read that for you right now. J.R. Brinkley was the goat. How a Huckster Kansan became 1917's Donald Trump of Erections by Anne Knickendorf. Have you recently had trouble getting it up? Maybe you don't last as long as you did in your youth. Goat testicle implantation may be the solution. Before you start Googling where to sign up, you're 100 years too late. Kansas was the epicenter of this super idea for several years, but the man and his treatments are long gone, but not all forgotten. The imaginative and dangerous exploits of J.R. Brinkley are showing up more frequently in modern art. A 2016 cartoon documentary called Nuts is on Amazon Prime. Pre-pandemic, a film was in the works starring Robert Downey Jr. as the rascally con man. And most recently, a theater company in New York City released a four-part podcast called The Resistible Rise of J.R. Brinkley. But Brinkley was about so much more than testicles. Edward Einhorn wrote the new podcast as well as the play it's adapted from. He says, When people talk about Trump, they talk about him as this unicorn, that Trump came out of nowhere. But when you look at things historically, he's actually really tied into a lot of different American characters and American ideas that just have never achieved this sort of dominance of having a president representing them. The year was 1917. Brinkley had just been discharged from his two-month stint serving in the Army during World War I, Soldiering hadn't agreed with him. According to the book Charlatan by Pope Brock, Brinkley spent about half of his two months and 13 days of service in the sick bay. Once he was free, Brinkley answered a newspaper ad. 
Milford, Kansas, needed a new doctor. Why not me, Brinkley must have said. After all, he had doctoring ambitions. He'd even spent a little time studying at some medical kinds of schools, including the Eclectic College of Medicine of Kansas City. Nikayla Zimmerman, museum registrar for the Kansas Historical Society, says that the college was primarily a diploma mill. However, she says, I don't know if he actually had a diploma in hand ever. He attended Bennett Medical College and dropped out. I think that was in Chicago. In any case, the town didn't seem to mind. Brinkley quickly set up a hospital and got to work doctoring. But like all good physicians, he needed a gimmick. Lore has it that an impotent man remarked to Brinkley, Too bad I don't have billy goat nuts. And the rest is history. Einhorn's research shows that at the height of business, Brinkley had about 50 variants of the goat gland procedure. There was really no rhyme or reason to it, Einhorn says. He would constantly be drunk in the operating room. It was the worst possible situation. If you just think about every terrible thing you would not want to happen to yourself with someone who was making it up as he went along, that was basically how he operated. And really, helping a fellow out was a pretty weak motivator. Brinkley wanted money and fame, so he needed to spread the word about his miracle procedure. Zimmerman suggests that Brinkley's most lasting cultural impact was in the use of media for self-promotion. He set up a radio tower in Kansas, only the fourth in the nation according to Nuts, and with the most powerful signal. With that station, he promoted his procedure in the first infomercials and the first call-in talk show, like Frasier. Well, except Brinkley solicited funds from sick and scared people all around the country and then shipped them random chemicals. Also worth noting, Einhorn's podcast includes the voice talents of Dan Butler, famous for playing Bulldog on Frasier. With his radio power, Brinkley also popularized country music. Other radio stations stuck with classical music, but he decided to broadcast the kind of music people made and listened to in their free time like the Carter family. Einhorn's podcast includes expert guests who say more about every aspect of the supernova that was Brinkley's life. But the thing was that the American Medical Association was on to him. So was the early version of the Federal Communications Commission. They shut that shit down. So he ran for governor. He wanted to go into office and make the laws so that he could do what he wanted to do, Zimmerman says. He would have won the election, but he was a write-in candidate, and bunches of votes were thrown out because the voters had misspelled his name. I just kept being astounded to see how close his narrative followed similar aspects of today's world, Einhorn says. I try to point that out throughout the podcast. It's about the past, but we can deal with the present simultaneously. The town of Milford is now Milford Lake, near Junction City, so as far as Brinkley-themed day trips, the Kansas Museum of History in Topeka is your best bet. There, Zimmerman says you'll find medical tools, photos, documents, and some of Brinkley's clothing, including his admiral jacket. He was also an admiral of the Kansas Navy. There are some people who say the Kansas Navy was this tongue-in-cheek fraternal organization, but we haven't really been able to find any evidence of that, Zimmerman says. After Brinkley claimed to be the admiral of the Kansas Navy, there were a couple of governors who then actually did name admirals to the Kansas Navy. Brinkley was shamed out of Kansas and moved to Texas where he noticed he could broadcast all the same devilry from a tower just over the border in Mexico, with an even more powerful signal. He amassed millions of dollars during a time when most people could barely eke out a living. Ultimately, Einhorn says, Brinkley is remembered for his amazing competence in advertising and marketing, and his incredibly dangerous incompetence in medicine. In the midst of the showmanship, and in the midst of this display of other things that a con man has, there are real and sometimes fatal results of that sort of chicanery, Einhorn says. But the showmanship is hard to look away from. He says, 
I want to simultaneously acknowledge the appeal and not say that these are just fools and rubes falling for it. Ladies and gentlemen, as you're always waiting for, it is now time for Nick's Music Corner! Nicholas. Hello, I'm Nick Spacek, music editor for The Pitch, here with this week's local music recommendation. We featured the videos of Kansas City's Big Rob Savage several times as part of the Senna Local video roundup, but the latest release from his FaithWorks Productions is the most ambitious thing the hip-hop and R&B collective has yet done. Entitled Deep Cover, The Game Had Me, the debut album from FaithWorks is 10 songs recorded over the course of nine days at mid-range music studios. As Big Rob said in an email regarding Deep Cover's release, the album talks about the struggle, but it doesn't glorify it. A perfect case in point is the track Go Get It, which talks about switching over from living a life where you support yourself through illegal means to living a clean, wholesome life. Featuring Boy Big, Young Father, PJ DeSinger, and Rappin' and Tuan, and a killer soulful organ backing track, it's one of Deep Cover's highlights, and it's unsurprising that it was chosen for the first single off the album. Deep Cover, The Game Had Me, which also features the likes of Big Rob Savage, They Call Me Sauce, Casey Youngboss, and others, is available on all streaming services now. There's also a short film in the works based off the album's themes. Keep an eye on Big Rob's Facebook page at Big Rob Savage for further details. Here's Go Get It. Strategize, yeah. main then attack. Yeah. If that's your man, can ask him that. Go get him. Oh. 
for you. I know it ain't much 'cause I owe you. See, I'ma try to do my best 'cause I love you. I'm just so damn happy that I know you. Never knew me to quit, no, no. And I done been in the worst predicaments. Never knew me to run. I took my tail. Lately, I've been trying to practice discipline, saying no to those things, those same things that I used to say hello. Now that oh, I have oh, more to live for, can I be a go-getter? And now I'm sitting down with Josh Scott, the guy behind JHS Pedals, uh, as uh, you can guess because it has his initials in the name. Uh, they make guitar effect pedals, which change the sound of how a guitar is played. Uh, and they've they've got uh, a lot of international attention for what they're doing, and he is trying to build a museum for guitar effect pedals. Uh, this is just really fascinating, very, very specific stuff. So uh, I hope you enjoy the interview. And uh, afterwards, absolutely look up a bunch of his videos on YouTube where you can hear the sounds of a lot of these instruments uh, and, and what they're doing. Uh, yeah, just uh, just throw their name into YouTube and you can find all of their shows and the fascinating stuff that they're doing. So here is that interview. Josh, welcome to the show. Would you uh, be so kind as to introduce yourself to the audience? Yeah, uh, my name is Josh Scott. I am the founder and leader of chaos at jhs pedals um also the jhs show uh which is a youtube show i do all kinds of weird niche things uh pedal and electric guitar history uh all kinds of stuff working on some books yeah it's good to be here and i'm from kansas city <laughs> so yeah uh, uh, this was a a surprise find. I was looking at the uh, the music site Reverb.com, uh, and uh, they had a list that was a roundup of their top selling pedals of the last year. And I saw that several were from the same maker, and I was like, "Okay, who's who's this company? I haven't heard of." And then uh, right on every pedal, it says "Made in Kansas City," and I was like, "I got to reach out and find yeah. out the the story of this company." So, what is it that you guys do, and how long have you been doing it? Yeah. Uh... I accidentally started JHS Pedals. JHS is my initials. Very clever name. Very creative. <laughs> so Joshua Heath Scott. Uh, I started in uh, basically 2007-ish. So, you know, we're, it's a little blurry on how a business starts like this. You know, there's me by myself for several years. And, uh, but it, you know, it kept growing. So about 13 ish years, maybe 14, if you stretch where the beginning is, uh, we're 43 employees right now. Uh, we build and we design, manufacture, market and distribute our products from Kansas city. We're in South Kansas city, Grandview. And, uh, yeah, the guitar effects pedals are what we do, what I design, what we make. And uh, 
basically when you see a guitar player on stage or hear a guitar, but let's say you see them on stage, you're watching an award show or something. There's always these things at their feet and they're touching them and you might not have noticed it. Now you'll notice it. Those change the sound of the guitar. So I like that you've gone through a, at really explaining from step one here because hey. I, I wouldn't have thought to do it, but the number of people that maybe don't know yeah. what a, a I, pedal I, chain is. I'm used to explaining to even my family members what the crap I do, you know, because it's like <laughs> you do again. Um, so yeah, it's the, the sound of a guitar is a clean, nice, predictable thing, but then you add these effects boxes and it affects how that signal sounds. It's a process. Uh, so you can add echoes. You can make the guitar sound like in the canyon. You can make it destroyed sounding like a robot with a fuzz pedal. You can do all kinds of fun stuff. Yeah. And that that's what we make. That's what we do. And yeah, it's been um, it's been a wild ride. But here we are on your podcast. Who are, uh, who are some of the big names that you've worked with in, in, the, in the field of music to help them uh, create new sounds? Yeah, over the years, you know, the biggest, most notable names are going to be, you know, John Mayer, uh, guitarist for Taylor Swift, Katy Perry, you know, Justin Bieber. There's all that, the very popular world. And then, you know, when you get into other genres of music that may not be considered popular, but they're big, uh, you know, bands like Wilco, Spoon, The Killers. Um, honestly almost anything at this point as wild as that sounds and that's as surprising to me as anyone i don't say that i'm always like oh my god they're using the pedal like i love them that's how it feels <laughs> um yeah because this many years we've made a lot of pedals hundreds of thousands of pedals so it's and and uh we keep growing and trying to innovate and it ends up on records and then someone hears that record or they tour with this guitarist or you know, St. Vincent does an article in Premier Guitar and talks about the JHS pedal and it just snowballs. And that's happened really heavily over, let's say six years, the last six years. So the first few years, there's some fairly known people, but you know, the last six, seven-ish years, you're getting into, you know, Red Hot Chili Peppers call and order one of everything and weird stuff like that. We're like, it's like bizarro world for me. It, what is the process whereby somebody comes to you and they're like, I have an idea for a sound. I would like you to make that sound. And it's different than all the other sounds that have previously been made. Like it's always, I think it's always funny to a, to a guitarist outsider who looks at like the wall of effects pedals behind you. And is like, okay, but how many sounds are there? How many sounds do you need? And it's like, well, apparently you can really get into the weeds on like the differences in a tremolo. There doesn't apparently just need to be yeah. one tremolo pedal. What, what is it like when somebody comes to you? Do they often have like a very specific idea of what they want? Or are you, yeah. I, I guess the same question applies in general to what your process is when you're like, you know what? I, I think we should make a new sound as well. <laughs> yeah, no, that's a great question. That's a really good question. I think it, it'll help kind of reveal the weird, the weird niche that I'm in. So in this room, so in this room, this is the set of the JHS show. It's the YouTube show. I think you're, you've seen it maybe. Yeah. I don't know if you've seen it. Okay, uh, so this is my museum I'm curating. I do a lot of musicology and his historical research. I've been working on this stuff for a few years, traveling all over the world, interviewing people about how these things were invented. And this room represents kind of my world since the first pedal was made in 1962. Um, 
and there are roughly 4,000 petals in this room and this doesn't touch the surface of complete history. Complete history is nuts. Like you'd have to be insane and own like a warehouse. It's crazy. But our, you know, what do I do when people come wanting a new sound? I think the truth is there aren't really new sounds. There are just different takes on sounds. Um, and what I mean by that is sometimes I describe it, the best way I know to describe it is paralleling it to say a chef who's cooking. You can go to a chef and say, make me some carbonara. And everyone does a little different. That is the best way to understand guitar sounds. There are some wild experimental sounds. Like there are things, you know, I have friends like Joel at Chase Bliss who can make a pedal that makes your guitar sound like a spaceship or something. There are things that are different. Maris is another company that I'm friends with. They make some wild, you know, make your guitar sound like an eight bit Atari game. But at the whole, we are uh, basically doing our, it's like restaurants. Every pedal company is like a restaurant. You know, if you go around town, you go to Corvino and get the burger or you go somewhere else and get the burger. It's a burger. But there's a reason you might love, like, I love the Corvino burger. I'm hungry. So, you know, it might be that that's how you could view that. Then when it comes down to making, um, you know, people approaching wanting a specific sound, I used to do custom stuff. In the very beginning, it was like, you know, starting up, I'll do whatever. I have a newborn. I need to make sure she eats. So I'd make all kinds of stuff. We don't do that as much anymore, but I used to approach that, you know, yeah, if you want, okay, you want a fuzz pedal and you want a switch that you like touch with your foot and it like starts screaming with feedback. Sure, sure, we'll do something like that. Now, the only occasions where I would do something fully custom is we have, you know, if we do artist signature pedals with some big guitar player. So like Paul Gilbert, I released in January, he's a rather famous, you'd call him like a legendary guitar shredder. He's like one of these dudes that like, he plays guitar and it feels like the neck is burning off the guitar. It's a you know fun personality too. Yeah, we got with him and his desire was, hey, I have extreme hearing loss because I was in a in, in a metal band in the 80s and that didn't work out well for anybody. And he says, can we tune uh, a circuit to my hearing loss, the, the cut in the mid range? And it developed into a literal pedal that sounds amazing. It was almost an accident. Wow. Or it might, you know, I developed, I've done signature pedals with Mike Campbell from Tom Petty and the Heartbreakers, Ryan Adams. I've done Andy Timmett. Like, you know, it's a big broad scope of what is someone wanting and why do they want it? So it's, I just say cooking is the best way to think about it. If you and I were chefs, um, you and I are going to make scrambled eggs differently but we're both making scrambled eggs. So if somebody wants scrambled eggs, there's a lot of options, but we're, you know, there are foundational sounds that are tried and true and everybody just wants those. That's what guitar sounds like. You get too crazy. Some people just don't want too crazy, you know? <laughs> no, I, I love that you guys, uh, in addition to being a company making guitar effects pedals, you, uh, there, there aren't many of those companies that I see have a, a Patreon and their own shows and things like that. What are, what is it? What is the show sort of element of what you do? Yeah. So the pedal company started, you know, around 2007 and I 
love designing circuits and I love certain aspects. I love marketing and branding and, but I am obsessed. I'm, I'm, I'm an obsessive personality and my favorite thing in the world is history. Um, it goes back to watching, you know, Ken Burns, the civil war too many times with my dad, you know, all like 700 hours of it on PBS, but I just love story and narrative and history. And then as JHS grew, I got to meet heroes, musicians, and and people whose designs and legendary inventors. And I I started just kind of falling into the side of like real life narratives of amazing people that have done amazing things that no one sees them. They actually, you know, to meet a person who invented a pedal in the 60s, you're not meeting a guy who designed a guitar pedal and that's it. You're actually meeting a guy who designed a guitar pedal that changed the sound of guitar, say Eric Clapton or Jimmy Page. That person that invented the tone bender, for instance, that's a pedal that's famous, meeting that guy. Well, he actually helped form Led Zeppelin's sound, but you've never heard his name. And he's I'm responsible for an entire decade of, yeah, and, he's responsible yeah, for your you, favorite songs. <laughs> and you go, oh, I love Jimi Hendrix. Yeah, man, Jimi Hendrix is awesome. And Woodstock, he protested the Vietnam War. That was amazing. Star Single Banner. Nobody talks about the guy that invented the three pedals at his feet that actually made the sounds of bombs dropping and machine guns. They don't talk about that. They talk about Jimi Hendrix. So for me, I started this journey of I'm building an encyclopedia of this stuff. I've traveled all over. I've been, you know, I'm in my fifth round to England. I'm headed to Japan, all over the US. COVID has delayed that, but I'm setting down with these people before we lose them. And I'm hearing their story, working on documentary, a uh, couple books. And that's what the show is. The show is the story of how electronic devices you have never noticed that are literally <laughs> walked on changed the sound of guitar, guitar changed the sound of music, and music changed our culture. That's the purpose of the show. And so that's me. That's just me wishing I was a history teacher. <laughs> that's what the show is. And it's, it's, it's fun, and we're nerds, and we make fun of ourselves. So that's amusing, too. Well, let's be clear. You're making a lot more money than any teacher, so you, <laughs> you went the right direction with this. Teaching's a rough category, yeah, to to, to love doing it and make it sad. It's sad what teachers make. It is, uh, I, I knew we were gonna hit it off when I was uh, looking up uh, some of your sounds and saw your uh, your sort of sample videos. And what people don't know is that like, when you're, if you're buying a guitar pedal, you don't really know from looking at it uh, what kind of sounds it's going to make. So uh, people have to make very elaborate uh, videos that play on YouTube that show like, usually it's just a close up of the pedal and you can hear somebody playing guitar and you'll watch as they turn the dials to get to the various settings and it's it just happens in a dark room somewhere and you're like okay I guess that's vaguely what that sounds like and your videos are really in depth but also have this element of uh of showmanship where like at the end of one I was watching you were like also let's talk about the new Beck record like my kids love it and like I was like I'm really yeah. in for this <laughs> yeah I think yeah I I'm in an era with guitar pedals. So, you know, guitar pedals started in 62. So we're looking at, that's a lot of years, you know, 2020, we're setting at 60 years later. And the internet gave us, like you're saying, a really cool vehicle where there was a couple of people who became like 
kind of medium key famous demoing pedals like literally there's andy pro guitar there's the pedal show in england like these are multi-million view like these are you know it's weird it's like a, it's like i don't know anything about fishing but there's like a fishing show somewhere with like 20 <laughs> like you know there's these niches in life that are strange but i think i came into it as a manufacturer and i used to i remember traveling to chicago and doing demos with chicago music exchange i was i worked with reverb when they were a folding table upstairs um wow and, you know so I, I saw this you know, just like the internet age evolved, the guitar demonstration and guitar thing has evolved with technology as well. And what I didn't want to do was any of that. I wanted to just be honest. I wanted to teach people. I wanted to like pull back the curtain and go, everybody's pedals are really good. Like, let's talk about everything. There's a lot of amazing stories. Like, yeah, JHS pedals are fine. I mean, we have the joke where I sell a shirt that says JHS pedals suck. It's like our best selling shirt. You know, it's like we demor we're just like we suck, you know, make like I just want to be the first one to be like, you don't have to buy JHS. I don't care. I want to tell these <laughs> stories. And so yeah, we we installed this segment in the show called Record Time because I think people have forgotten that guitar is about music in the in the guitar pedal industry. That's interesting. You know, it just becomes weird over time. So we just don't take we take that stuff lightheartedly and we just try to be real, like uh because I think what happened is the whole demonstration of products in our industry, it kind of became like one of those Ronco food dehydrator, like Saturday morning uh, infomercials. It just became like this dull, lifeless, like this is how you're supposed to show your product. Let's show our product this way. And that just, that's just not fun. So I think we just went, we're doing whatever we want. And honestly, when we started the show, I expected everyone to completely hate it. And that was the opposite reaction. But I, you know, I remember telling Nick, Nick's the director of the show. Um, it's like, let's just do what we want. And just, cause if we can have fun, we can do something for a long time. If we try to do it like everyone else, we're gonna be miserable and hate it. So yeah, apparently there's a lot of nerds who are just like us who found that, you know, there's a lot of fun things in, in this guitar pedal, guitar world that are being overlooked for the sake of selling things. And I think that's been our approach is like, let's not worry about selling something. Let's just talk about it and tell stories and share, share these amazing moments where people invented things and how cool it is, you know, get past the sales pitch. We're not selling a food dehydrator, you know. I guess in keeping with the theme of there being a lot of nerds out there, um, in 2020, you have this uh, this line of pedals that I guess charted. We'll we'll call it that uh, to be like a yeah. reverb's top ten for sales here. And it's it's a it's a uh, a line that is based in uh, countries and decades and the sort of sound of that genre. Do you want to explain what what your series is and why it seems to have hit so big? Yeah, it's it's wild. We you know when we when we print. When, Ran. I cannot talk this morning. When we plan the uh, releases, it usually it takes a year to get something out. You know, you have 500 dealers all over the world. You got to you got to do stuff way out. So we had this project called Legends of Fuzz, and the idea is exactly what I've been telling you. There's these amazing pivotal moments in our history, musically, not even guitar, just musically, where a sound of a guitar really did something you you go back to 1965 england there's a sound there's a box responsible for that sound 
you can go to your favorite, you can go to a Pink Floyd record and you can wonder like, why does Dark Side of the Moon sound that way? There's a box on a floor somewhere that's helping that. So there's these legendary sounds. And so this series was is simple. It's these are the legends of fuzz sounds and we put them in a box. We re I have original units here, you know, museum pieces. So we reverse engineered those, replicated them, put them in a, an enclosure that kind of paid tribute to a vintage style unit, like a vintage pedal. And we named them based around where they were made. And we put the year they were made in the city. And we just kind of tied it like a little history. Le- again, it's like a history lesson on a product. But it, it, it attaches you to what actually happened instead of some marketing hype. Instead of being like the super awesome, mega delicious fuzz pedal, it's just like, you know, the Bender, 1960, you know, 1973, London. You have something that's actual, it's real. It's not like an infomercial. And then the, then COVID happens and we go into lockdown. We shut down the company and we, man, my team here killed in a, in the best way, like, adapted we adapted and we started building pedals in our homes we actually kept it rolling i was determined i'm not laying anyone off i'm gonna keep the train rolling and it's gonna be difficult and we did and we actually released that series in the middle of the lockdown shipped them all over the world in the lockdown built them in homes they have stickers on the back that say built during the COVID 19 pandemic like there's actually the very first ones and it blew us away. We sold thousands and thousands of those pedals while everyone else was a little bit crippled, rightly so. Supply chain became a nightmare. We actually released that line. So that's why that line's special to me. And I think that's why it did so well is it was like this glimmer, this nerdy glimmer of hope that was like, yeah, these are fun. This gets our mind off of COVID. And we released them right in the heat of it all. So that that's what those are and why I think they did so well. Then a few months later, we put out the $99 series, which Reverb told me if we'd released them a few months later, they would have been the number one thing across the board because we sold 20 something thousand of those in a few months, a couple months, but it was too late in the year. So it was like this weird angle of when they put out their sales stats, it didn't, they weren't really old. They were just still brand new, but that was like the affordable line. Yeah. Uh, I, I guess maybe we wrap it up today uh, and I'll do something that I've never done on the show before. Um, you've just made a sale. Uh, tell me what JHS pedal I need to buy this week. <laughs> uh, I don't know. I don't know. Uh, probably what we have in stock. So you can swing by and pick it up. Uh, I don't know. You let you tell you you send me an email of what you got, and I'll I'll hook you up for free with something on the house. Uh, I would appreciate that. Uh, that'd be awesome. And when things normalize, you're always welcome to come stand in this room and become overwhelmed. It's like paralyzing. You'll just be like, "What is happening?" When I, when I saw this background on your video stuff, I thought for sure it was some sort of Zoom background, and then I was like, "Oh, that's a." That's a real space, and I'm going to be terrified to be there one day. <laughs> yeah, let me show you something here. Let me go to my uh, let me go to my webcam. Hold on, you'll like this. No, nah, you're fine. So the whole room. Oh my god, it's a 360 of that. I, you can't see what's dead in front of me, but every drawer is full as well. Oh my god. Yeah. <laughs> 
I, I just love, yeah, people are going to watch like, what is he showing him? Yeah, it's a little, it's a little crazy. I mean, it, it is the, it is, it is like 4,000 articles of guitar history. Um, I think there's like me and a collector in Japan that are, you know, we're both the crazy guys. Like I helped write this book, uh, the Stompbox books that came out, the brick thing. I don't know if you saw that. So I wrote an article on there and then I contributed. He came here and shot some of the rarest pieces. And it's funny, some of the comments, you know, people are like, these people are sick. You know, who has 4,000 pedals? It's like, I do have a problem. It's all for history though. You know, that's, I'm a teacher, you know, you got to have pencils. That's my excuse. (laughs) Just really, really expensive pencils from decades ago. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's wild. It's, it is a crazy task preserve. There's so many great stories and yeah, it's exciting. It's exciting to, you know, I have a long road ahead of preserving it all and I'm going to do a museum, a literal museum soonish. I don't know when that'll be, but yeah, that's the goals and that's, that's what we're doing. And the show is just an extension of that kind of figuring it out. Yeah. How to tell the stories. When you do a, a pedal museum, do you, do you go the most insufferable route possible and just have like each pedal plugged into a different guitar into an amp so everyone can try it out or like, yeah. what is the, what is the process there? Uh, I don't know. You know, I've, I've done some work uh, with, I've been, I've been dipping my toes into some current museums. Like I did an interview with Smithsonian. Uh, I think, I think I'm going to help with an exhibit. I, I've worked with uh, curating uh, a small temporary pop-up museum that was in LA. Uh, There's one in Chattanooga. I, I'm trying to figure out what that looks like. Um, I think I'm going to go the route of what I'm calling time capsules. So pivotal moments that everyone might remember, which is, you know, Jimi Hendrix at Woodstock. What did his rig look like? Build the rig and let people play it with the real stuff. I might go with that route. Or it could be funny. It could be Marty McFly at the dance and Back to the Future. You know, that's a great scene. It's not an album, but we all hear Johnny Be Good immediately. And you see the red guitar. That's fun. Those are time caps. Those are important things. Maybe there's, you know, maybe there's like... I don't know, Rage Against the Machine, Lollapalooza, or so, just something that might mean something to someone and let them, let them experience like what they've heard. Let them see what they've heard. Yeah, the idea of clicking around uh, Hendrix's Woodstock stop box lineup is, uh, that's pretty fantastic. <laughs> yeah, and, it, and it's really, it's not that hard to do. It's just people haven't really put it in a, in a, in a displayable format. That is going to be a challenge. I don't, I don't have those answers, but I have the stuff. I just don't have the answers yet or the building, you know? Well, I'll be in line first day. That sounds amazing. Thank you so much for your time this morning. No problem. And folks, that has been Streetwise, the podcast extension of The Pitch from Kansas City. I've been Brock Wilbur. Thank you so much for listening. Thank you so much for being a part of our lives. Thank you so much for being the wonderful, wonderful people that you are. Uh, We are doing incredible work every day at thepitchkc.com. We have launched a podcast network with a bunch of other great shows like us uh, and a roster uh, that is ever expanding into some really fascinating places. And... Uh, with a lot of names that I think you'll know. So it's a, it's a very exciting time in the pitch pod world. Uh, so written word and audio words, and who knows, someday we'll just beam in virtual reality style to your 
to your place and I will uh, yell at you about political opinions and uh, people and things I don't like and then uh, hold my cats up so you can see them. Uh, thank you, technology. You'll help us get there. Uh, anyway, if you want to become a sustaining member of what we're doing, there's information on the site. There's ways to donate a few bucks once off if you you know feel like throwing something our way to help us get through this. Uh, and uh, keep doing the uh, the great journalism that we are known for doing in the city. Uh, we are having as good of a time as we can possibly have, and we are here to have your back. Love you. Thank you so much. Pitch in, and we'll make it through. Bye, 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 bye. This was a production of the Pitch Podcast Network. The Pitch is Kansas City's independent source for news and culture. Check out thepitchkc.com to see more podcasts from us, including information for how to subscribe to The Pitch or become a sustaining member. Story ideas or feedback? Write to tips at thepitchkc.com. Pitch in and we'll make it through.